Hello, and welcome to The Library Coven, a bi-weekly podcast in which two bookish besties discuss mostly YA fantasy through the lens of intersectional feminist criticism. Why? Because talking about books is pretty magical. I'm Jessie. And I'm Kelly. In this episode, we're back in the world of the nightmare verse in the final, I think, of the series <laughs> that we started all the way back in the first season, which is like five years ago. Wait, now. we did? Is that when we read the first one? <laughs> yes, I know. It's been like so long. Wait, what are the other two uh, called? A, cr- a Crown So Cursed is the one we're reading. And yeah. what are the other oh two my called? God. A Blade So Black. Have... And... Yeah, and... A something so something. dark and lovely. Anyway, anyway, uh, sorry. <laughs> um, Alice is facing a new type of nightmares, learning new histories about her family, and trying to protect both our world and Wonderland. And of course, chaos ensues. So, initial reactions. Do you want to go first? Sure. I love, love, loved the audiobook narration on this one. Um, it was a. Mm, um, multiple cast I think there were three cast members yeah yes mm-hmm. and that was I thought d- done really well it took me a bit to get back into the whole series and to remember what was going on what the stakes were what the moving parts are in hindsight I probably definitely should have looked up like synopses for the other books I think that would have made my reading experience maybe a bit less bumpy but pretty sure this is the last one in the series and I thought it it, it did feel kind of like a wrap-up like a little bow tied around everything a little envelope around the the rest of the contents of the series and I, I thought it was it was enjoyable I maybe would have liked them if I gave star reviews maybe it would if I had read them all in a row maybe it would have garnered <laughs> like an extra star because I wouldn't have been so lost but that's not anyone else's fault but my own <laughs> I can't believe I already forgot I was doing star reviews. <laughs> All right. Well, I gave this one five stars. As many of you might already know, I really love the other books in this series. And this one was no exception. Um, like Kelly, it did take me a little longer to get back into the story and remember what had happened in the other books. I did try and look for like one of those wiki pages and couldn't find one um, mm. because I thought that would like help a bit. Right. But once I started to remember some of the past books, like some of the, you know, bigger plot points, I like devoured this book. I think I listened to it like over two days because I also listened to the audiobook, which was narrated by Jeanette Ill- Illich, mm-hmm. Jacob York and Thomas Durham. Um, I really like the different uh, narrators because they did like Hatta's accent and Humphrey's accent. And I mean, obviously Alice has an accent, but not to me. Um, <laughs> uh, so I just really enjoyed it and I thought it was really fun. And yeah, like you said, it did feel like kind of wrapping things up. I could see it still like continuing and having different stories happening, but I'm, I'm also pretty happy if this was the last one. Recommend if you like. I put Legendborn by Tracy Dion because I do feel like these ones kind of go together. And then two books that came up as read-alikes as I was like, you know, doing my librarian research. We're reading later this season, which I wrote in the notes as semester. You can see where my head is at. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, We're reading I Feed Her to the Beast and The Beast is Me by Jameson Shea and House of Marion by J.L. And I'm really excited to listen slash read both of those. So I thought it was cool that some of the read-alikes were books that we're reading later in in the season. So that's that's like pretty fun. (laughs) That is cool. I was trying to think of like we've read, I feel like a lot of 
magical black girl swashbuckly sort of tales but like mm-hmm. none of the like specific titles were coming up to me so i'm i'm glad that you gave us gave us a few specific <laughs> read alikes i'm like that's pretty much our entire like backlog 80 80 we however try many really episodes hard. right so <laughs> yeah yeah like any any sort of like badass black girl protagonists that are kicking butt we love it why did we choose this book I think we kind of wanted to like finish up the series and I don't think L.L. McKinney gets the same amount of hype as other authors Mm -mm. like on social media. So I feel like we're just like putting her back on everyone's radar and maybe it's partly because the series ended up taking a long time to like wrap up. And I wonder, like, I actually haven't seen anything on like social media about Todia. Tomi Adiemi either even though like the final book in that series is coming out soon so mm-hmm. I think sometimes when there's like this big space of time in between books in a series people kind of forget so just putting putting her back on everyone's radar mm-hmm. and we did kind of like change tactics with the pod to be because earlier on we were like finishing series up and that was yeah. like kind of our our thing we were like oh we want to read the whole thing yeah so everyone has our like views or our perspectives on this whole thing and it's kind of nice to just like wrap it up and and get to discuss the whole series but at the same time there's so many friggin books and so many new authors so we kind of like change tactics to want to be like who are these newer people that maybe haven't hit our radar before but I I agree with you I'm glad you put it in there that L.L. McKinney is like not getting not getting the same attention even though like the books are really good I think so too The, the writing is really good and the like magical system is interesting it's like queer and yeah just definitely highly recommend the series yeah and um i'll talk about this in world building so on that note time to talk about world building and through the wardrobe we say this every time we read a book that takes place in our world but we don't actually read fantasy novels uh that do very often so the first half of this um like or about half of this book is spent in our world in Atlanta and the other half is in Wonderland and I do kind of wonder like high fantasy is so so like popular right now and I know this is normally called urban fantasy but I don't actually like that term but um Mm. I wonder if like fantasy that takes place in our world just doesn't get the same amount of hype and maybe that's why we don't see L.L. McKinney on as many like lists or like being posted about on social media that sort of thing because like people have been just so big on like high fantasy different worlds different settings like not in our actual world Mm -hmm. can you say more about why you don't like the term urban fantasy oh yeah for sure um i think urban fantasy urban fiction often just like get conflated with like black fantasy black fiction Mm. and i don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with that but i do think it leaves out like a specific group of black folks who don't live in urban settings Um, and so I always find it like a little dog whistly to me but I know I know that is like the official term for it but I just don't like it so I I don't use it I'd rather just see like I guess it's like realistic fantasy maybe is what I would call it because it takes place in our world even though it's not like realistic fiction but yeah I feel like realistic fantasy makes sense Mm -hmm. and is a better term to use (laughs) yeah I'm just curious what the what the alternative would be but yeah. but yeah, I feel you on on that. And then, then it's like, what do you do with other books that are like fantasy, but set in the country? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, like um, Spiderwick Chronicles. I don't know if you read those books, but mm-hmm. like, or even like 
um chronicles of narnia obviously takes place in narnia but like at the beginning they're just like in england or whatever right like out in the country they're not like in a metropolis area mm-hmm. so i'm kind of like mm, i think realistic fantasy might be a better term that's what i'm gonna call it fair enough <laughs> fair enough we also get a Comic-Con, and there were so many nerdy references. Many of them I didn't get because yes. there were quite a few that were about anime, and I don't watch anime slash cartoons. But it was fun to see them, and Alice in particular as a black girl, like, nerding out. I follow quite a few black and brown, um, like, nerds on TikTok going to, like, cons and doing their cosplay and, like, just geeking out about their favorite things. And so I just love to see this, especially for Alice. I thought this was, like, so cute, and it was giving me, like, what was that book we read like in season one? Oh, Ship It. Yeah, it was giving me Ship It vibes. <laughs> totally. Oh, I love a con setting. Like there's so many Easter eggs for SFF nerds, like so many. One of the main ones that I think was like coming up throughout the story was Castlevania. So she was cosplaying Trevor Bel- Belmont, who's like a vampire hunter. And then uh, Hata was being Alucard, which is Dracula's son, because Alucard is just Dracula spelled backwards. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> okay. And like Trevor Belmont uses a morning star, which is like the sickle on the end of the chain. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I thought that was cool that like that comes back in the end. There's a callback because she's using the, the fake one or whatever at the beginning. And then that's what the like heart turns into as like her badass ultimate weapon or whatever. And and then like the, the con is really where like all the action then starts because we get mm-hmm. these different kind of nightmares that come out of the come out of the woodwork i like how they described in that scene how like the people were like is this real is this not they just thought it was like people were cosplaying it so i'm like oh it's yeah. pretty like a good clandestine place to have like a a uh, fantasy showdown uh a comic yeah, big battle <laughs> exactly and i think i remember from the previous books that the cons were uh something that alice liked to do with her dad yeah yeah so i thought it was yeah, just great to see them, to see them in this setting, nerding out. Have you been to a Comic-Con before or a, or a con? I haven't. And, you know, like public libraries do them often and I probably should go, but I always feel like out of place at that kind of thing because I don't really like to do like the dress up thing when it's not <laughs> Halloween. <laughs> and they're always like seem to be in the summer. And I'm like, I am not putting on a costume in the summer. It's way too hot. Like Alice and them were com- like complaining about that, yeah. like how hot it was like mm-hmm. in their costumes. And I'm like, there's no way you're getting me to do all that. But it does seem like it would be fun. Um, it's also a lot of people and I actually get really claustrophobic. Yeah. <laughs> so seems fun, but maybe like a small one would be the place for me. Mm-hmm. Have you been to one? Yeah, I went to a few around 2017 to 2019, pre-Panini. Have not mm-hmm. been back. Not sure when I would go back. But yeah, I just remember loving like the vendor space because there's like artists that just make nerdy shit mm-hmm. and that you can like go walk around and buy posters or I bought an adorable like polymer clay necklace. It's like this little teacup. It's like so tiny. It's like a quarter oh, of an yeah. inch or like half an inch around and then there's like a little lemon slice and stuff in it but there's like it's a cool place to find like nerdy artists and I always like would collect the yeah. business cards to then be able to like go back and look at them on my own time because they don't always have everything you know at their one little merch table or whatever. The ones that I went to in Denver there were a bunch of panels too. I presented at them. That's another oh, okay. reason why I was there. Um. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, didn't you see RF Kwong at one? I That's did. That's why we read the Poppy War. Yes. Yeah. I saw RF Kwong at one and she was like the only person telling it like it was on this panel of white ladies. I think Tamara Pierce mm-hmm. was also on that panel. Yeah. It was just, it was very good. It was very good. 
And then I was like, oh, I like this person. And that's how I started. Yeah. Reading, reading her stuff. Nice. I remember one costume that stood out. It was before I had seen anyone else do this. You know, those like air tube people that are like outside of a car sale, like a used car place that are like, yeah. you know, like flipping their arms everywhere. And mm-hmm. <laughs> someone was dressed up like that. It was like bright green. And they were just like standing by a pillar doing their thing, doing the like wavy thing. And they were just like <laughs> cracking up. So funny. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that for like Halloween costumes. <laughs> it's become a thing now. But I remember back in like 2018, I'd never seen anyone do that before. And I was like, oh, my God, this is hilarious. Because everyone knows this reference. Like if you're yeah. in the U.S., right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we saw maybe some Game of Thrones people, actors oh, cool. or something present. I can't remember, but yeah, con a con setting. Who if you if you were to cosplay as someone, who would you cosplay as? Oh, hmm. I mean, okay, so I've actually done a couple of Halloween like things with people. Like when I worked at CU Boulder, uh, mm-hmm. me and a friend Cecilia, we did Daenerys and uh, now I can't remember her name. And I was her. So that was fun. We also did Handmaid's Tale, which in retrospect, I would not do again because like that TV show was terrible. But I'm a constant like Wednesday Adams oh, costume classic. every year. And I love it. So I probably would do that. But also it'd be fun to like go as Brie from Legendborn. Like that would be really fun to like take something that's maybe like not because it's like less popular, but just because it's like, oh, you know, like there are characters I can dress up as and be myself, you know, right? Totally. (laughs) Totally. Um, And I think that's pretty, pretty dope. I'd be pretty happy with that. Yeah. What about you? Nice. Maybe I'd probably do something from like steven universe because i love that show mm-hmm. so friggin much oh my gosh that'd be my go-to it's, it's also easy to do as like a group because there's a bunch of different oh yeah a bunch of different characters too nice all right let's discuss all things magic i'm gonna say this because i didn't put it in the notes and i'm totally gonna forget but we had like these weird new nightmares in this one that were like really hard to kill and coming up out of this like viscous black oil sludge looking stuff and I don't know why I forgot to put it in there but that was weird and I was like oh I can see somebody being a little creeped out reading this book like it was almost like horror adjacent (laughs) yeah those descriptions were like so visceral Mm -hmm. Nana Kay is like a queen from Wonderland and has powers I did not see this coming at all like did you see this coming like what the hell (laughs) I did I remember in the second book being like and Anna Kay is being like not totally forthcoming with this whole like necklace thing. And she keeps checking that like Alice is wearing it or asking about it. And I'm like, mm. it's like Chekhov's gun sort of thing. Like, why would this happen if it weren't? Important? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think that just like her presence getting she's like got more and more presential throughout the story. And so I was like, um, obviously, she's badass, amazing. And it really does like bring it all together and make everything make sense at the end that she's like a queen and she came to earth and then she fell in love and had Alice's dad and, and stuff. And yeah, like just more powerful grandmas in YA, please like this energy. Can we have more of this energy? (laughs) (laughs) Now we're going to talk about conflict villains and good versus evil in get me Kylo Ren. This is where I, babble confusedly for a few minutes and then hopefully jesse can 
<laughs> put me on the right track. This particular aspect, I think this was the most confusing to me. Like coming back into the series without like cold, without having read anything else for a few years. It was like some dead queen, right? That was like mm-hmm. a puppet yeah. master using her dead daughter as like a puppet or an, or like possessing yeah. her or something. Mm-hmm. I think like using like the nightmares or something. Okay. And so then like, is this dead queen like a sister to Nana Kay and the other queen? Or is it like the yes. mega queen mom of these two people? I, oh, sorry. I think it's the mom. And I think like, it was funny because I think a lot of this came up out of grief over her dead daughter, who right. is Alice and the white queen. I don't remember. Um, like their sister. So it was kind of like very grief driven. But yeah, I also was like struggling a little bit because I was like, I haven't read these other two books in like five years. So it was like the great grandma who was using one of Alice's great Mm -hmm. aunts or something that died when she was a kid. There, that's it. Yes. And Mm -hmm. so then the person who's being possessed is the sister to Nana Kay and this other queen. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I was like, I think that's what's going on. And then it was just like for evil takeover reasons or something like just Mm -hmm. like the grief got to the great grandma or something. Yeah. And then there was like this also this like first nightmare moment that mm-hmm. was with like chess and, or maybe it was just like Hada and uh, his ex, what's his name? Humphrey. So like, but, th- but that didn't seem to really go anywhere. And so like, this is probably just my user error. It's like me, but I also thought that like a lot of the issues we're like Wonderland royal family drama at the end of the day. So maybe like a, a family tree would have been helpful, but then that would have been like a spoiler, I guess. So anyway, yeah. I'm just talking in circles. <laughs> well, it does seem like there's like a lot still going on. Like, and some of it we'll like kind of talk about in Shipwrecked, but like with Haruka and Chaz and then Humphrey and Hada and Alice, like all the relationships there where I can see there being more story later mm. where that family tree will come in handy. But one, I didn't have, I mean, I had the physical book at some point because obviously I took pictures of them all, but <laughs> right. Um, like there could have been a family tree at the end that I didn't realize because I listened to the audiobook. Oh, that's fair. I don't have, I think I've only listened to the audiobooks. So I don't think I've, yeah. I've had a physical copy of these. And there might have been something on Ella McKinney's website, which I did not look at. So, (laughs) but I think if you had like read these books back to back, it would be a lot easier. And I think this is just Mm -hmm. like one of those problems with series in general, because there's sometimes so much time. If you like kind of come to them at the beginning of the writing, it's so easy to forget what happened otherwise. And I just don't have time to be rereading books all the time. I I guess I could have listened to our episodes, but we don't like go into great detail about the whole plot. Right. So that can also make it difficult. (laughs) Yeah, you, you make a good point about like the nature of the publishing industry too being like there's so much lag time between the books because yeah. shocker to anyone that writing books is like hard and time consuming. So it's yeah. like a literal job, yeah. people. So so yeah, sometimes where the audience is just like craving and the like market mm-hmm. is very consumer oriented, you know, so just like one yeah. after the other after the other. But yeah, it's a, a good reminder that uh, this intellectual labor is, is valuable and, um, you know. It takes time. <laughs> exactly. It takes some time to get back into also. All right. Onward, magical people. Just as one does not simply walk into Mordor, one does not simply read fantasy without talking about a few things that we'll talk about here in a second. Race, class, gender, and ability. This is our segment about power and bodies and how they relate. 
I've said it before and I'm going to say it again, but McKinney does such a great job of describing the race slash ethnicity of all her characters, like the kind of clothes they wear, their hairstyles, their skin color. McKinney is like one of the authors I often use when I need an example for sensitivity reading to be like, you need to describe the race slash ethnicity of your characters Mm -hmm. because she does such a good job and like does it for all of them um so like there is no default to one race slash ethnicity right so i really appreciate this and i will say it all the time just describe what your characters look like we need to know we need to know (laughs) i'm so glad you put this in there because i completely agree mckinney is like the standard for me Mm-hmm. And I feel like other people have followed in that path, like Tracy Dion, yeah. you know, is coming mm-hmm. to mind as like another one who does a really good job of describing the characters. Yeah, just deprogramming us from from this white is default sort of thing is is important. Another author who does it really well. These are adult books and they're quite spicy. So <laughs> read with caution. So yes, please. Thing. Yes, but some people are here for the YA only, but Mm -hmm, sometimes when I'm sensitivity reading like a romance novel, Katie Robert um, is a white author and they do a really good job of always describing the race of their slash ethnicity of their characters, like even side characters. It's been good to see it happen, not just for black folks writing, but just coming, becoming more normalized. So I've appreciated that. I think that we had mostly like able-bodied minded characters except for um the alzheimer's and dementia that i'm not sure what nana k is dealing with specifically i know that the two words aren't interchangeable but are often used that way so i looked it up i'll link in the show notes to an article from the mayor mayo clinic but like the tldr is that dementia is an umbrella term that encompasses many symptoms like memory loss behavior and language changes and alzheimer's is one of many different kinds of dementia like there's vascular dementia there's all sorts of different kinds of dementia and alzheimer's is like one of those so it's like square is a rectangle rectangle is not a square sort of thing yeah yeah <laughs> um but i didn't know that and i mean i think i had like a vague inkling that they were used interchangeably and shouldn't be so mm-hmm. now now everyone knows everyone who listens yeah. to the podcast now knows <laughs> thanks for the information <laughs> and i wasn't sure if this this seemed to to be something nana k mentioned that like memory problems sometimes happen for like wonderland people when they leave wonderland Mm -hmm. and the like the longer or further away they are um the worse they get but it also seemed like this was happening to her when she went back to wonderland yeah so i'm not sure if like the symptoms would like abate or if it would change if she's like living there full time but i you know thought this was handled with care and compassion and just like honesty about how hard it is for your family members who are taking care of you who like experience it the behavior changes and memory loss like vicariously or tangentially it added some depth to the character and a bit of conflict to the story and you know is something that that a lot of people are dealing with in real life so i appreciated this representation Finally, it's time for Shipwrecked, a segment about sexuality, asexuality, sex, romance, and relationships. And sometimes we take some liberties and do some shipping of our own. Something that was a little bit different than many of the YA novels we read um, is that Alice is romantically interested in a few different people in the story. Hada, Haruka, and to some extent, it seems chess maybe still, and there's no shame around that. Um, mm. It feels to me like perhaps Hada is end game but we still see her very much attracted to Haruka and maybe possibly chess um, but it was just interesting because I feel like a lot of romance or sorry not romance fantasy which often includes romance um, in mm-hmm. YA that we read 
uh, just like really has like an end game, like tie it up in a bow at the end. And I just don't think that's often like the trajectory of many young people uh, are not going to still be with the same person they were with when they, you know, like graduated high school or whatever. I know I'm exception to that rule, but right. um, <laughs> it's like me and Deanna. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I know like some people are the exception to that, but I just appreciated that because I think so many YA novels set the stage for, you know, you're going to find your person in high school and that's going to be the person that you're always with. And that's just not the case for a lot of people. So I just appreciated this aspect of the of the novel. Yeah. And another thing, like jumping off of that, that I appreciate is that we're not like, this isn't the struggle that Alice is mm-hmm. having within her identity or whatever. Like, like through her exposition, she wasn't like struggling with internalized biphobia or whatever. Yeah. I just appreciated that it's like it's not a problem like it doesn't have to be a problem it's just framed that way you know by society and like there wasn't like a zero-sum situation that like it it was just like yep there's desire going on and that's totally fine gender like irrespective of gender yeah we saw that with Hada Hada too you know and his Mm -hmm. relationship with Humphrey yeah just just more of this and like the messiness of the fact that like sometimes desire overlaps you know what I mean yeah. like it's not necessarily clear-cut about like oh this person is endgame and there's no one else who is coming onto the scene right yeah but there wasn't like a, a like a pretty resolution about it it was open-ended which I also liked yeah agreed I'm always here for slash loved the multi-generational like badass black woman like matriarchal line that's going on here with Nana Kay and Tina is that her mom's name that sounds right if it's not sorry pretty sure that's right and then Alice all of their interactions just like chef's kiss so beautifully done yeah I was just like oh I I love I love this family so much yeah and it was funny because like Nana K reminded me so much of my grandma. It was like funny to read it because obviously because I'm from the South as well. So it was just mm-hmm. like some of the mannerisms and like some of the things she would say were to remind me so much of my grandma who's no longer alive. None of my grandparents are. But I just like appreciated that it was like a little bit of a warm hug for me. So I was just like, oh, I love this. Thank you, Ella McKinney, for writing my grandma into your story. <laughs> yes, totally. Uh, more grandmas in YA, please. I think we talked about it before, but like the the inclusion of the adults in the who are normally just like lied to and how McKinney like is in a meta sort of way aware of that's what YA fantasy often does with adults in the protagonist's lives and how she's like flipping that on its head. I really appreciated that. All right, let's kill some darlings, I guess. Writing style, narration, characterization, plot structure, et cetera, et cetera. What really stuck out to me about McKinney's writing in this read was there was like so many battle scenes. Mm-hmm. I think she's just very good at writing battle scenes. They, they seemed almost like, like I could imagine them in my head and they were like anime or manga, like almost when she's like, Alice dropped into a crouch and I'm imagining the like quintessential anime crouch with the like one <laughs> arm up or whatever. And the <laughs> morning star and just like those, you know, all the, the slide and the creatures. It was like, everything is so visceral and fast paced and like, you know, cutting to different scenes and angles and stuff. I mean, from all the Easter eggs and stuff, I imagine that L.L. McKinney is also like a big nerd who likes anime and yeah. stuff like that too, because like, I don't know, it seemed like someone from within the nerdy community is writing this. <laughs> not, like, not an interloper who doesn't know what they're talking about. 
Yeah, it's coming from inside the house. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It was so much fighting in the story. And I was also, I'm almost kind of wondering, I think there was like an hour left. And I'm like, how are we going to wrap this all up? Like, yeah. how is this going to come to fruition? But they did a good job. Something that I am starting to see more and more in YA, both the books that I read for the podcast and some of them that I read outside of the podcast have been so much more cussing than they did when I was growing up in the in the books. I don't have an issue with this uh, at all. Uh, I think this is actually how young people speak with each other. Um, and you kind of see parents being like language, you know, like what you can't say that. And like, but you see like how these interactions are happening between the young people. Um, so it's been a really interesting change to see happening. Um, and I really enjoy it because I think um, sometimes it's like, obviously adults are writing these books and they sometimes feel like they're being like written down to young people and so yeah. it feels like much more include inclusive of like how they talk how they dress how they speak how they act and so I really appreciated this at first it was like kind of jarring because I was like this is not a book for adults and then I was like oh but this is how I talked like starting in middle school so it all makes sense exactly uh, so I just really appreciate that I didn't notice this like it didn't catch me off guard when reading the book but like now that you've like I don't know, pulled the, pulled the thread out. I'm realizing mm -hmm. that you're totally, you're, you're totally right. And then like, this is how teens talk to each other. Like I'm yeah. remembering that I, I mean, I still, you know, cuss all the time, but yeah, <laughs> but especially as a teen, when you're like f trying these words on, you know, and, and seeing how they, how they fit in your life and they're, they're fun. Honestly, yeah. it's a skill to be able to, to swear <laughs> well and in an interesting manner that's not just like tedious and annoying. But yeah, that this is like more robust characterization, I think, is what you were getting at. Right. That like, mm -hmm. yeah, this is this is how how people are instead of like a sanitized version. Yeah. that's like condescending to people. Yeah. And it's funny because it wasn't actually this book that brought it to my attention, but I was reading a different book for a review publication and I noticed it a lot like saying fuck, which is fine. I did too when I was that age, but then I noticed it as I was also reading this book that I was just like, oh, I didn't realize that we're like kind of seeing this change. And maybe mm. it's because sometimes we're reading books that don't place, take place in our world. So it's easier to like pull back on that because I was yeah. really reading like a realistic fiction book so it was just funny to see like reading those two at the same time I was just like oh yeah I kind of forgot that this is not like how like you know Holly Black or mm, you know like not how it authors, used to be right young people mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah totally. yeah um so yeah And I don't think we have any real talk to talk about. So should we just do... Let's do some card questions. Card questions? Let's I do prepared. it. I prepared. I got them out. I can hear them. <laughs> I keep nodding along even though you can't see me. <laughs> I know. I do too. And I'm, or I'm like showing them to you, but you don't see my video. <laughs> just right, know that see. I'm nodding along and encouraging. Thumbs up. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Oh, this is an interesting one. What are the principal flaws of the main character? Huh. I think Alice tries to like protect her people and I don't think that's a wrong thing but I think sometimes it comes at the like detriment of them being able to make their own decisions um, about what they want to know and how they want to do things so I don't know that mm -hmm. it's a flaw it's just like a a thing that can be hard to like break away from <laughs> yeah she can fall into this like almost individualistic I need to protect everyone and then doesn't yeah like share the burden 
with anyone mm-hmm. else, even though that could have been more in an effect, a more effective way to address yeah. the problem and less stressful and less energy intensive for one person alone. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Alice. <laughs> Poor Alice. I know. It's hard to deprogram over-functioning people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What gives the main character strength? Besides her, her like, family. magical powers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, magical powers. But I think also her family. Like, she pulls, like, a lot, like, I think of her courage and, like, just her personality from, like, her dad and, like, her mom and her grandma. And, and I think it's why she, like, doesn't want to, like, overburden them with her issues. But right. um, I think she, see, like, I think she always knows that she has, like, a soft landing place to go back to. And that gives her, like a lot of strength to do the things that she needs to do to protect them. Totally. Well, and it's also the like family that actually talks about problems and Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. is truthful with each other and honesty that like from my white Midwest programming is like not something that comes up in (laughs) our family units. So it's like a total, totally different vibe. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This says, would you change anything in the story if you were the author? nope (laughs) no oh my god it's so good all right there's our three we did it all right thanks for listening to the library coven we'll be back in two weeks for a discussion of fit for the gods um, our first anthology read edited by jen northington and s zainib williams the first one we've done we haven't done any anthologies Oh, not wow, like okay. a full anthology. We took a story from an anthology when we did an episode with um, another podcast, but that's like that's the only right. one. Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, as always, we'd love to be in conversation with you magical folks. Let us know what you think of the episode, anything we missed, or just say hi by dropping a line in the comments or by reaching out to us slash me on Instagram <laughs> at yeah, the library <laughs> <laughs> I do all the social media stuff, so um, come hang out talk chat i would love to hear from you all you can subscribe to the library coven on the podcast app of your choice we'd really appreciate it if you would rate and review the show and also you can spread the word to other people out there a personal recommendation is one of the best ways to support us if you're able to support our labor financially you can make a one-time donation to us on coffee buy us a tea or we can buy a book and then you can also support us monthly on patreon by throwing a few dollars our way we have a pay what you can i think it starts as low as two dollars a dollar a dollar okay so yeah if you've got an extra hundred cents then you can spend on us (laughs) um you can also (laughs) shop our bookshop.org org affiliate page until next time stay magical 